Hello. Hi. Welcome to our spring 2019 issue. Pins and needles. I'm Jennifer Keel. And I'm Anna Wolf. We were thinking about this theme of pins and needles to start our seasonal Scout and Birdie issues, our spring issue 2019, um, because the feeling of winter finally thawing away and making room for spring sort of gives me that feeling of when you go in, like after, you know, walking home um, in the cold and your fingers are starting to thaw and your body's starting mm-hmm. to thaw and it's sort of that tingly feeling. Mm-hmm. And it also makes me think of that feeling as sort of like the anticipation of spring. I know for me and a lot of people um, that live in colder climates, the winter is a struggle to get through. It's dark. You don't want to go out as often. And when the spring comes, there's there's this anticipation for spring. Mm-hmm. And when it finally comes, it's like this feeling of finally thawing and um, feeling so much more happy and able to go out and do things. Exactly. And I think from an artistic perspective, pins and needles is a really compelling thought, a thought of anticipation, of waiting for something, or of this uneasiness that we get in life where we have expectations that aren't being met in a certain way and we're not sure how something's going to turn out. So from from that perspective too, I think it's really interesting. Yeah, pins and needles is kind of like a an in-between feeling. Mm-hmm. And I think that those moments of not being fully in one thing or in another are is where really interesting art can come from. Yeah, that kind of suspension in this liminal space. Mm, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think these artists came up with some really compelling pieces of work. And we are so excited to share it with all of you at home. We're so excited that it's spring mm-hmm. and working on this issue brought us out of the winter and into spring in such a lovely way. Mm -hmm. So please enjoy Pins and Needles. All right. First up in the issue is Sarah Cohen. And we know Sar from our time at Columbia, Mm -hmm. um, being in school with her for a year or two. And we also know Sar from doing some shows together. And she is a really warm and comforting uh, energy. Every time she comes over to record, she gives us astrological advice. Mm-hmm. And I think that really <laughs> gives a good um, insight into the, the energy she is. And Yeah, she's a very warm person. And she was previously in our Over the Moon issue, too. Mm-hmm. And we're excited to have her back with her piece. Hindsight. I was right. I remember moments when thoughts would pop up. Thoughts my brain categorizes as negative thoughts, bad thoughts, insecure thoughts. I choose to brush these thoughts away under carpets of, he's just tired from his job. He's going through a lot. He told me he loves me. He's just quiet. I trust him. Brush, brush, brush. Sweep, sweep, sweep. But I was right. One, 
You take out your phone. You answer never-ending text conversations with other people. You distract yourself as I talk. You say, I promise I'm listening. You say, I'm not ignoring you. You still go on Tinder to make friends. You leave the room a minute after I introduce you to my friends. You aren't here. I just... Two. I compare myself to many of the Instagram posts you double-click on. I make friends with the other women you invite to our plans, even when they clearly don't know who or what I am. I hang out with your ex. I stop myself from cringing every single time you call me your friend. Or... Be friend. I don't make a big deal when you don't respond. I send you memes to make you laugh, but I'm not enough for you. I just don't want to see it. Three. I debate buying you a scarf I know you'll like because I think it's too much. I buy it anyway. I befriend your friends. I listen when you say you want a big teacup and a ring so I can make them your holiday gifts. I wake up at 6 a.m. with you to go to work because I want to spend the night in your arms. I bring surprise tea to your work on a day I feel us drifting. I say I love you after weeks of knowing it. And you love my cat. When we're together, you touch your phone more than you touch me. Sometimes you don't come. I never come. You tell me you love me for the first time over text and you dare to say, woman, you know this. I don't. My mom asks me why I love you and I don't know how to respond. You surprise me with a yellow rose. It's dead now. You update your Tinder profile a day after we break up. The day I find that out, I rip the dead yellow rose to shreds. The day I found out you swiped right on my best friend accidentally, I wish I had a million to rip to shreds, but you only give me one. I think that's the only true thing you give me because you can't give anything more. And I can't see that. That's on me. I betray myself through your indifference. I chip and chop and dissolve my own value away to fit into the mold of the little space you give me. I dim myself to be your understanding girlfriend. Girlfriend. Finally, for the first time in my life, I'm someone's girlfriend. I just wish it would have been someone who has the balls, the space, the desire, the maturity to treat me like one. Because now, after all that's happened, I only feel rage and disappointment every single time I think of you. I just wish you would have told me you weren't sure instead of all the other stuff. Or maybe I just wish I would have seen it. Next up in the issue, we have Emma Casey. And Emma is a beautiful writer who we previously featured in our poolside issue. And she is just such a thoughtful and intriguing writer. And we are so excited to have her back for this issue with her piece, Abated Breath.
In our house, we have a saying. We say it after the storytelling and before the dancing at the tea party that never ends. We never run out of stories because we're always telling the same ones, but the guests are new, and we never say all the right words in all the same order, and we are always talking at the same time and over each other, so we never know where to look. The dancing is always the same, but our bodies are always different. They switch places. We wear clothes we've been wearing for years, shaping them in the heat of our days of ongoing use. In our house, at our parties, we have a saying. We say it after the storytelling and before the dancing, each part a repeating chorus at the tea party that never ends. We say, the end can't leave you brokenhearted if ending ends up where you started. And we reset to repeat to prove our words to live by. We can no longer remember the origin of the couplet. In ever-changing repetition after the exhaustion of ending a party that never ends, we find ourselves collapsed into the comforting refuse of back where we started, ready, set, to go again. Do you know your name? Emma Rose Casey. Hi, Mom. Do you know your birthday? November 24th. 1990. Hi, Dad. Oh, she's really pale. Do you know where you are? Yes, but I don't know if I said it out loud. Oh, you would not believe the view. How long was I out? A couple minutes. I'd been on Mars. I knew I was on Mars because of course I was, for dream logic told me so. I was far away and thinking 30 memories all at once, cutting the cat's nails kissing on 2nd Avenue, and interrupted by it picking up a phone call. She was calling me back home. I went. And then, a sharp smell of my own body, drenched in sweat in the pleather chair. I'd been wearing the same t-shirt for about 48 hours, trying to build a new skin out of recent memory. Two days before I'd landed back in my always home of Chicago, coming from my sometimes home of New York City, where I'd been gone for four days from my life. I was at the clinic, empty-stomached in the early morning after an 11-mile bike ride on a temperate late October day. I'd been doing it all fall, this commuting long distances across the city, buoyed by the weather and my own perpetual movement, because if I didn't stop moving, I never had to stop moving. But now, seated in a chair with my eyes turned away from the needle, staring at the arched back of the Halloween black cat decoration, I declared I was going to faint and promptly did. I got called back by the smell of ammonia and a magenta sugar beverage held to my lips. I felt like a hummingbird, and the rest of the day I floated. I biked the 11 miles home. I changed my clothes. Where did a couple minutes go? I'd gotten that sweat-soaked t-shirt about three days before, a gift in the kitchen of a couple new acquaintances in Queens, extra merch from their hardcore band, Material Support. I liked their name and their music, and if I kept wearing it, I could keep living in that carefree vacation. In New York, we visited with very dear friends who we never see. We ate and drank and slept as we wanted, and we were a we, a new couple, and really excited. On the plane, in sleeping, 
walking, seeing sights, and having the kind of quiet intimacies on the sidewalk that become gems against the tumble of activity that that city provides as a background at all times of day. Feeling unmoored in Chicago, I was becoming a gem collector. Baptisms, vinegar kisses, bells in the air on Sunday, hoping to gather enough to build a place to land. I lived in New York for college, careening into the city on weekends to walk miles across bridges and see plays alone and with friends, taking in beauty with the wide open eyes of kids away from home and slicing it apart with the enthusiasm of undergrads building a critical toolbox. I left because I felt like the city cannibalized itself too quickly. I could never write about it. It was always gone. Before I considered college, I considered becoming a runaway, taking a greyhound to the Big Apple just like Lydia Lunch, or like Enid, the character in Ghost World by Daniel Klaus, who mentions her secret plan to one day not tell anybody and just get on some bus to some random city and just move there and become this totally different person and not come back until I had become this totally new person. My plan never got much further than a kind of romantic threat to my parents and my whole tedious late teenage life in Chicago. Instead, I made the move, above ground and with financial aid, to a small liberal arts college, delivered the 800 miles across the country in my parents' silver minivan. In this new life, I scratched my antsy runaway skin. I went to DIY shows in Brooklyn warehouses draped in Christmas lights, where I'd crouch in a corner or smoke cigarettes on rooftops and listen to noise, my favorite place to disappear. Often my partner in these adventures was a friend from home on her own path through her own glorious hell in a different liberal arts college not far away. We moped about our parallel experiences, the East Coast elitism, the strain moving put on connections to the boys we loved in high school. But where I found joy in breaking with the past, she sank into mourning, often asking what would become of old relationships if she was no longer around to tend them in the present. The lack of solution haunted her. She carried this question into the summer break after our first year, and then silence settled in its place. Early in my second year of college, I took a class on Ibsen. When it came time for a final paper, I fixated on recurring characters in his plays. Women who left their homes, their husbands, their children, their whole discontented lives in exchange for a chance at themselves and the nebulous thing that is freedom. They're everywhere in these plays. Hilda in Lady from the Sea declaring, I'm never going home again. Maya in When We Dead Awaken singing, I am free through the mountains. I loved writing this essay. I felt like I was unlocking a lineage that I was part of with my best friend. Because six months before, in the silence of that first summer back home, she'd run away. She told no one. Making good on Enid's desire, becoming a resident of her own ghost world, I worried constantly in the six months that she was gone. I received a couple emails in that time assuring me that she was still alive, living a mostly silent life in a country where few people spoke English. In our house, we have a saying. We say it after the storytelling and before the dancing at the tea party that never ends. We say, the end can't leave you brokenhearted if ending ends up where you started. And sometimes we believe it. 
We graduated separately and moved back to Chicago separately. We've fallen out of touch. Where did a couple years go? Where did a couple minutes go? This past July, I'd moved across Chicago, sick and sad of my daily routine. I started biking dozens of miles every day, and in exchange for a stable home, I leaned into my life in motion. Moony night rides and dewy mornings. I stretched that feeling that Chicago would be my forever home, and when I booked a ticket to New York in October, I felt like it may be for the last time. I wasn't running away from Chicago when I went in October. I was a happy vagrant in my hometown, in a way that would have made sense to the 18-year-old girl trying to read herself into Ibsen and find communion with Lydia Lunch. I felt at home in streets rolling one after the other, north and south, but kept trying to outrun my mind, coming to stillness in the glass confetti of the lakefront, parties there before me, chewing up the days and the still way that oil remains, opal pools moony next to moving water. I fainted towards an end with the urge to pack up the physical toll on my life and put the balm of idiom upon it. The t-shirt was a cozy symbol and in need of a wash. I was in need of a wash. I repacked my boxes. We say it after the storytelling and before the dancing at the tea party that never ends. We say the end can't leave you brokenhearted if ending ends up where you started. We say it often and sometimes we believe it. In the seasons of ordinary time in between the end and the next beginning. All right. Next up in the digital issue is Philip Lindsay. And Philip is a wonderful photographer who was featured in our last issue, Better Half, and is creating another series for this issue and our upcoming folk issue as well. So we are so happy to have Philip here with us sharing another series of photos. And if you like, you can listen to Philip's interview with me in our last issue as well to hear more about his creative process and what that's like for him. So definitely check out that series on scoutandbirdie.com. And next up in the podcast portion of the issue is Megan Powell. Megan is someone that we've been friends with for a really long time. We've performed with her in countless uh, readings and shows, and this is her second time on Scout and Birdie. Yeah. Megan was last featured in our poolside issue with a gorgeous piece called Ode to a Pool. And we are so thrilled to have her back with her piece. Wait by phone. This metaphor isn't working. (laughs) Of course, the advent of caller ID, not to mention the widespread usage of the cellular phone starting in the 1990s, has totally destroyed the brilliant efficacy of this metaphor of having to sit and wait by a phone. 
Who hasn't sat beside a telephone waiting for that one call? That one call. Millions of people have not done this. This was to be a very theatrical and clever motif in which I would set this piece. Having to sit and wait by a phone that doesn't ring when you really, 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 really want it to ring. And to ring, not to tinkle or fart raindrops or belch ZZ Top. And having to sit by it. This act signifies loneliness, isolation, stasis, disconnection, transform to connection in mere seconds and all the other kinds of anguish that make teenagers and adult women who are no longer enrolled in any kind of school write terrible poetry. If you call me, you like me. If you call me, you love me. If you call me, I love me. If you call me, I like me. If you call me, I can get up and pee and make biscuits. This metaphor is outstanding. It is going to work. I am going to use this anachronistic metaphor because, thank God, I have a few important English guys to back me up. It was Coleridge who coined the term willing suspension of disbelief, and Shakespeare really got it when he said, "'Tis now your thoughts that must deck our kings," or phones. But it was George Michael who said, "'You've got to have faith of faith of faith-a.'" This metaphor is working, isn't it? It's not too immobile, is it? Waiting is active, right? Waiting is not wholly inactive, but the act of being poised to act. It is not receiving, but being receptive. Receptive. This is an act that signifies receptivity. Reception. Reception jumping, bass is pumping. Look at the phone and your heart starts thumping. She says she wants to dance to a different groove. Now you know what to do, G. Bust a move. This is an active activity to show you now, isn't it? Waiting. An activity to entertain you. And to also demonstrate for you, no, 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 to prompt the recognition in you through the outstanding use of a metaphor, waiting by the phone, of something abstract and significant that is going on at the same time as, and yet still represented by, my act of waiting by the phone. It is both signifier and signified to use the terminology of the great Swiss linguist Ferdinand de Saussure, who at the turn of the 20th century laid the groundwork for structuralist theory. Now, Derrida would argue that words and signs can never fully summon forth what they mean, so the phone has no absolute meaning, only that which is produced from the systemic play of differences, or difference, as Derrida would put it, the phone's meaning 
is forever deferred or postponed through an endless chain of signifiers. Then, of course, it was Bart who employed signifier as connotation of bourgeois cultural myths. You know, uh, the signifier, a bottle of beer, is not just a bottle of beer. It is relaxation. And a phone is not just a phone. It's, 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 what was I saying? This phone is a sign that conveys meaning, which is, is, waiting. No, 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 no. I have decided this is a metaphor for surrender. That's a popular word nowadays. I have read Eat, Pray, Love. I know that surrender means more than what cheap trick meant it means, and I am signifying this act of surrender by doing absolutely nothing but one thing. Because waiting by the phone means only one thing. I surrender, I signify, I flit, I float, I fleetly flee, I fly, I isolate myself from your eyes that I cannot forget, your eyes that burn like a tiger burning bright in a strange violet haze of the night. The other night, when you said you would call me, and you couldn't wait to see me again. And you turned around and looked back at me after you walked away. And you got in the car and waited until I was actually all the way inside the house with my coat half off and a cat in my arms before you left. I surrender. Swiss linguist, Swiss linguist, Swiss linguist. And then when it does ring, are you ready for who or what is on the other end? Because you have to be ready. All right, next up in the issue is Chloe Janelle. And Chloe is someone who I kept running into at readings and poetry events, and we did a stage reading together, and finally we we're having her on the issue, and we're so glad because Chloe is such a warm um, and welcoming energy and such a beautiful writer and performer. Yeah, she was so lovely to talk with and work with on this. So... We are so thrilled to share her piece. On Days Like These. On Days Like These, my tears worsen the waves you've created in me. I woke up this morning with dreams of you calling to me like mockingbirds during the winter. And they're flying, swimming to an imagination that was once ignored. 
the idea that bees only sting those who deserved it and that ladybugs only grant good luck to those who don't need it. I forgot what happiness was when you looked at me. And I forgot what sadness felt like when I danced my own thoughts in the rain. He is here. Always has been. I've just been ignoring it to satisfy those around me. He loves me. Something I didn't know could exist so purely. Who am I to push away a rose that smells so sweet? A fool. A fool who can't see a joy without pain. A mule walking through empty deserts filled with broken promises. Promise me this one thing. If I go, remember me in my purest form and shame those who loved me when it was convenient. Promise you'll love me until the sun rises, then continue on with your life like you did before you knew I even existed. Promise me you'll sing to the butterflies that wave at you from a distance because deep down, you know it's me whispering goodbye and hello to you at the same time. That'll bring us to the end of our issue. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to stay connected with us in between issues, go on to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and like us and follow us. Be sure to go to scoutandbirdie.com and check out Philip Lindsay's series of photos. You can also learn more about each of the artists there and find where to keep up with all of them. If you are an artist and would like to submit to be featured in a future issue of Scout and Birdie, you can go on to scoutandbirdie.com, click on the submission tab, and send us your stuff. I'm Anna Wolf. And I'm Jennifer Keel. And in case you missed our announcement last time, Scout and Birdie is now quarterly. So we'll see you next time on the first day of summer with our summer issue, Folk. Bye. Bye.